that, uh, it is good to have you here, uh, whether you're here in the room and uh, if you're online or with us in Skagit or Belize, uh, so glad that you're, you're with us here today as we continue in uh, the uh, study on Colossians, this letter that Paul wrote uh, to these people 2,000 years ago. Some of you, I know this is hard for some of you to believe, but some of you are older than me. It is true. And so for the, some of you who are older than me, you may remember, I don't because I'm not that old, but you may remember an old radio program called The Inner Sanctum. Yeah, okay, yeah. See how old you are. It was this, this radio program, this mysterious radio program. I don't, I've never heard it. I heard about it years ago. Uh, R.C. Sproul was talking about listening to that when he was a kid. That's how I even know that it even existed. But it was this mysterious uh, mystery radio program. Some of you, however, not quite as old. You may have grown up reading Nancy Drew or Hardy Boys Mysteries books. Maybe you were all about Sherlock Holmes, you know, it's elementary, dear Watson, and 221B Baker Street and all of that stuff. Maybe you played Clue, tried to figure out the mystery. Some of you remember that in the 80s, there was a, a very popular, wildly popular show called Unsolved Mysteries. It went on for, for season, oh, almost 600 episodes of Unsolved Mysteries. And then the History Channel came up with histories, mysteries, talking about things like, you know, the Grassy Knoll and the Second Gunman and Stonehenge and D.B. Cooper and, and those types of things, of all those. But when it comes to the genre of mysteries, mysterious things, there is one that transcends them all and unites us all. And I have a picture to remind you of that one. Scooby-Doo. There was Fred and there was Daphne and then there was Velma. But the key was that dynamic duo of Shaggy and Scooby. Right? Like so weeks. And then they would get in their econo line, the Ford econo line van, that the mystery machine. And they would go out and solve these mysteries. And when they would get the villain, they would pull his mask off and it's Farmer Morgan. And he says, I would have got away with it if it weren't for those meddling kids. But there was something that happened. When they pulled the mask off, they unveiled the mystery, and the mystery was then solved. Now, the reason I tell you all of that is because in the book of Colossians, Paul writes this letter, and he reminds them that the mystery has been unveiled. The mask has been taken off, and that the mystery is now solved. They don't have to wonder any longer. In fact, last week, as Pastor Brian helped us finish up chapter one, he just alluded to this and uh, said that I would come back to it this week. In Colossians chapter one, verses 26 and 27, Paul writes, the mystery that has been kept, kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints, that's the followers of Christ. It's been hidden for a long time, but now it's disclosed, it's unveiled. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, of all people, he reveals it to the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is in this verse, this this phrase, Christ in you, you, the hope of glory. The riches of that mystery. We could spend the rest of our time on that one phrase. What does that look like? What does that mean? What are the ramifications for us that Christ is within us? And that is the hope of glory. Hold on to that thought. We'll come back to this mysterious tactic of Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
As I said, Pastor Brian finished up chapter one last week. In this summer study, we have spent five weeks getting through chapter one of Colossians. There's only five weeks left in this series, and so we have to cover chapters two, three, and four. So we're going to have to go pretty fast over these next five weeks, a couple weeks in chapter two, a couple weeks in chapter three, and one week in chapter four. So there's a lot of stuff we're going to have to skip over. Hopefully you're studying this on your own. One of the interesting things about the end of chapter four that we won't have time to get into, but I thought I'd, I find it so fascinating, I pointed it out today. One is that, that Paul makes it really clear at the end of chapter four that this is a hand-lit handwritten letter, which doesn't seem that out of place because they didn't have computers or anything of that nature, but that he is the one that wrote it by hand, which makes it a little unique because at the end of the book of Romans, there's this little, the little, little parenthetic uh, insert that says, I, Tertius, this guy named Tertius, I, Tertius, write this with my own hand. He was like a scribe for Paul. And there's all kinds of theories of why that would be. Some think that Paul's thorn in the flesh was maybe he had tremors and he couldn't write well. Or he was blind and he couldn't see. But Tertius writes that. In this one, he says, I write this one with my own hand. And in addition to that, if you were a part of this series early on, you may remember that, that this was written to a group of believers in Colossae, and they were a part of a, a little a tri-city that was in the, in the Lycus Valley. There were three of these cities fairly close together, and they all had this, this Lycus River that ran through them. There was Colossae, and then there was Hierapolis, and there was also Laodicea. And when he writes this letter to the Colossians, it appears that there's some other letters accompanying it. Maybe the, the book of Philemon, some think maybe even um, Ephesians, but there's another letter that Paul wrote that we don't have anymore. And he alludes to it in Colossians chapter four when he writes this, says, after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea, that he had sent a letter to Laodicea as well. That apparently there were churches in each of these three little cities. There were the Colossians and the Laodiceans and even in Hierapolis, there was a group of followers of, of, of Christ, probably planted and pastored and shepherded by this guy named Epiphras, who had heard most likely about the gospel in Ephesus when Paul was there. Now remember, Paul has never met these people. He's never been there. He's only heard about them but he says to them in, in uh, Colossians chapter 2, which is where we'll be today. We're going to kind of go through the first seven verses if you want to turn there. He says how his, he struggles for them. You know, in prayer and in writing these letters, he struggles for them. And in his struggle for these followers of Christ, he writes what his purpose is in writing them. Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, My purpose is that they, these people he's never met, in churches he's never been to, in these little towns out in the middle of what today we would call Turkey, these followers of Christ, that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. If he says, my purpose is that they would be encouraged in heart and then united in love, it kind of implies that maybe they're undergoing some discouragement and some division in the church. And if they're not, maybe there's the potential that they could become discouraged or divided. 
And when I read little phrases like that, it reminds me again of how relevant God's word is to us today. Because while I'm not the oldest pastor in the world, I've been in ministry for a few decades and never in my ministry have I ever seen as much discouragement amongst pastors and division within the church as I've seen in the last two years. Pastors are just thrown in the towel. They're just tired. It's been so difficult. It's not worth it. Churches have been divided over political issues and social issues and pandemic issues and all of these things. And we've become so partisan within the church. And Paul says, I don't want you to be discouraged and I don't want you to be divided. I want you to be encouraged in your heart and united in your love. But I don't think it's about a political issue or a pandemic issue that has caused them discouragement or division. You see, there's been some false teachers that have made their way into these churches. And they're saying some things that cause people to be discouraged because they talk about these levels of understanding that some people can't reach. Or this, these mysteries that, that if you're, you're not this elite spiritual, you're not going to solve them. And so there would be discouragement of like, I'm this second rate citizen, maybe I don't have enough. And there would be division because some would say, well, you need the legalism of Judaism. And others would say, no, 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 you, you need some of, the, some of these, these humanistic, paganistic things. And you need all these things that are dividing and, and with the Gnosticism and Jesus was God. No, he was human. No, he wasn't either. And all of these things that would have been very, very divisive. And Paul says, I want you to have encouragement in your heart and unity in your love. And it's not just so you have a happy heart and you hold hands and sing Kumbaya. He says, the reason I want you to be encouraged in your heart and be unified in love is so that, and then he spells it out, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. I don't want there to be any question in your mind, he says. I want you to have the full riches of complete understanding that you will know the mysteries of God. Because there were these questions about, Am I good enough? Am I, can, I, can I figure this out? Am I, am I elite enough? Am, can, can I discern these things? And some of these false teachers had made it very complicated. Uh, Winston Churchill, years ago, used this phrase. A riddle wrapped up in a mystery inside an enigma. That's a hard one to figure out. If you can get into this enigma and get that one worked out, then there's this mystery you have to unpack, and then you've got to figure out the riddle. And these false teachers were bringing in all of these teachings that made it sound so complex, this mystery. And they were feeling like, I can never figure this out. I, I don't have the special code. I don't, I don't have the deciphering ability. I can't crack this thing. I, I'm not elite enough. And Paul says, I want you to know. I want you to be completely aware. No question at all of this mystery of God because it's not that complex. He says, here's the mystery. It was once concealed, but it is now revealed. That's it. It's not trying to figure things out. It's something that has been hidden. There was a mystery, yes, and it was hidden for generations and for ages, but it has been revealed. So the mystery has been unveiled. It's no longer a mystery. I, I don't know if you've picked up on this. I, I have a bag today. Um, I, I don't normally preach with a bag but when I do, it's a blue bag. <laughs> Stay curious, my friends. I have this bag, and there's something inside of this bag. Now, you don't know what it is, so it's a mystery to you. 
But it's not a mystery that you have to try and figure out. It's not a mystery that I've been dropping some little blues clues on the way here, and so now you can kind of put these together if you're really elite and you can kind of put it all together. No, no, it's a mystery that I'm going to unveil. I'm going to reveal, and when I do, it's not a mystery you have to figure out. It's a mystery I'm simply going to reveal to you. So in this bag, there's this mysterious thing that will soon no longer be a mystery. It's a bobblehead Jesus. I mean, what were you expecting? See, now what has been a mystery up to this point is no longer a mystery except why would Pastor Bob have a bobblehead Jesus? That's not much of a mystery for some of you. It was a mystery not for you to figure out, but it was a mystery for me to reveal to you. And Paul is trying to help them understand these false teachers are saying, you have to figure all this stuff out and you have to you know, decipher all this. He says, no, 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 the mystery has, yes, there was a mystery. And yes, it was hidden for ages and for generations, but it has been revealed even to you Gentiles. It's been revealed to you. Look at this, verse two, again. He says, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The mystery, the mask has been unveiled, but it's not a villain. It's Jesus, it's Christ. And this is his point all the way through this letter, and we'll see it continually. The centrality of Christ, the supremacy of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ. He says, you don't have to go chasing after all these other mysteries. You just need to know Jesus because contained within Jesus is all the wisdom you need. He's trying to help them understand that all these false teachers are telling them something that's not true. And on the side note, sometimes I'll get people that'll come up to me and say, Pastor Bob, I heard about some lost gospels that they found. Uh, what, what do you know about the gospel of Thomas? What do you know about the gospel of Mary Magdalene? What do you know about the gospel of Judah, Judas? I've heard about these gospels, that they, these other extra biblical writings. And I just want to say, forget it. You don't even know the gospels that are in the Bible. <laughs> just focus on Jesus. And he's bringing them back. Keep your eyes set on Jesus. That mystery has been, it has been unveiled and it's Christ in you. That's your hope of glory. Not trying to figure out all these other things everyone else is saying. So in verse 4, he says, so I don't have it for you, you can read it on your own. He says, I don't want you to be deceived. Because they're going to come and they're going to have all these arguments. And they sound impressive. And it sounds very spiritual. But it's false. It's a sham. It's, it's not true. And so I was thinking about this whole thing of what Paul is doing with the Colossian church. And trying to help them understand about these false teachers. I was thinking about um, like that scene in The Wizard of Oz. You, you know The Wizard Anyone else freaked out about flying monkeys when you were a kid? All right. So in The Wizard of Oz, at, that, at the end, you know, there's Dorothy and all of them. And they're standing in front of The Wizard and they're, all this. And Toto pulls back the curtain. You remember the scene? Pulls back the curtain and reveals that the wizard is a sham. He's a fake. He's not all that he thought he was or was trying to portray himself to be. And so even that he's saying, well, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Paul is pulling back the curtain and saying, pay no attention to these false teachers. And then he pulls back the bigger curtain and he says, pay full attention to this one. Not the false teachers, but to Christ, the eternal, glorious creator, sustainer, redeemer, the focus and the, the object of all creation. You pay attention to him. I don't want you to be deceived by all of these other false teachings. 
And then in verse five, he says this. For though I'm absent from you in body, remember he's never been to their church, he's never met them. I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Epiphras has told them all about these people. He's no doubt told them how he took the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they heard it and they believed it and they received it and they're solid in their faith. Even in the midst of a pagan culture, even with all this Gnosticism, even with all these false teachings, they're remaining faithful. And he says, I've heard about it. It's not the only time. I mean, early on, he refers to them as the faithful ones. They have stayed true. He says, I just rejoice in hearing how solid you are in your faith. You know, again, as, as pastor of this church for almost three decades, I've seen God do some incredible things. And the thing that sometimes is maybe most puzzling to me and frustrating is when I see that someone hears the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that no matter what they've done, where they've been, there's a forgiven life because of what Christ has done, and it's a new life, and it's an abundant life, and it's an eternal life, and they grasp it, and it gets a hold of them, and they change, and they're excited, and they're growing in the Lord, and they're studying, and maybe they're serving in ministry, and they're in Bible studies, all these things. And it's not just that they have spiritual potential. I mean, it's like God's doing, they, they're producing spiritual fruit. And then somewhere, somehow, something or things happen. And then they're not on this path anymore. And it, it's so frustrating and saddening, disheartening to see that. I mean, Paul, he, he wrote to the churches in Galatia, chapter five, verse seven. He said, you were running such a good race. Who cut in on you? What happened? Well, now you're not following Jesus. Well, what was the deal? You were doing so well. And sometimes... People are doing great in their faith and, and then they get disillusioned or discouraged. Maybe, maybe they're, they're just you know, kind of like thought that everything would always be wonderful and then they come across some hard times. They thought, this isn't what I signed up for. Or they prayed and God didn't answer the way that they thought he should or when he, they thought he should. And they get a little bit discouraged and they say, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. Or maybe they just get distracted. This hobby, this business, this shiny thing that the world offers, which we'll look at in a couple weeks, those things just kind of get their attention and they just begin to drift. And Paul hears about how solid these people are in their faith and he wants to ensure that they don't get discouraged, that they don't get distracted, that they don't drift, that they don't get derailed in their journey. And so he writes in these, these two verses that we're going to look at for the remainder of our time. Some would say these are the two most significant, most important verses in this entire letter out of Colossians chapter 2. And he wants to ensure that they remain solid in their faith. Verse 6, he says this. So then, you know, with, with all that, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. You received him. It was a gift from God. It wasn't anything you did. It was his grace that was, 
that was given to you. You received him. Now continue to live in him. And again, this is a repeat. In chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, he said, you were alienated from God. Then you were reconciled to God because of what Christ has done. Now continue, you know, firm, continue on, established, not moved in your faith. And what he's saying here is that there was a great beginning of what Christ has done and you put all of your trust in him. There was a complete trust in him. Now there's a continual transformation by him. Yes, your life has been redeemed. You've been forgiven. You've been given a new life. Now continue to live in that life. And so he writes out this kind of this metaphorical picturesque words to talk about what this is going to look like. And he, and he uses like a picture of, of, a, of a plant or a tree from agriculture. Then he uses a metaphor kind of from building, from architecture. And then he uses one uh, like from a river. And I want us to just look at this. What I want to first do is read through it completely and then back up and walk through it. So, uh, in Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. So then... Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Rooted, built up in him and strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving, thankfulness. Rooted, built up and strengthened, overflowing. All right, here's what we're gonna do. This summer at Cornwall, we're doing all kinds of pop-ups around. You've heard about these things, you've experienced them, you've participated in some of them. Today, we're gonna have a pop-up. Stand up right now, even online. Go ahead, stand up. All right, here, here's what we're going to do. I thought, I thought when I was raised in church, in children's church, if they wanted us to remember something, they would give us uh, like some motions to remember it. And I thought it was about high time to get children's church back into big church. So today I want you to remember these things and this is what you're going to do. You're going to do this. Rooted. You want to try that? Rooted. All right, that's good. Built up, strengthened, overflowing. Here we go. Ready? Rooted, built up, strengthened, overflowing. One more time. And I need a little more volume. I know you have to think and all this stuff. Here, here we go. Ready? Rooted, built up, strengthened, overflowing. All right, sit down. Now, I know for some of you, I interrupted your nap, and for that, I apologize. For those of you with a Fitbit, you just got six more steps that you wouldn't have gotten if I just preached all through. So you're welcome. Okay, there you go. So he starts off and he says, just as you receive Christ Jesus, Lord, continue to live in him. Rooted. It's this, it's a grounded life. It's, 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 uh, it's going deeper, this grounded life he has. And you can see, obviously, there are very clear agricultural metaphor he's using here. For any tree, any bush, any shrub, shrub it, it, the roots are such an important thing. And he says, I want that for you. I want you to be rooted. I experienced something two weeks ago that I had heard about 15 years ago or so, but had never experienced here in Whatcom County. About 15 years ago, I was on my way up snowboarding with a friend up to Mount Baker. We were going up Mount Baker Highway. And he said to me, he said, there's a little unmarked turnoff on the Mount Baker Highway, and at this little turnoff, just a little a wide spot in the road, there's an unmarked trail. And if you go on that unmarked trail, in less than a minute, you'll be able to see and experience old growth fir trees. And if you continue on the trail, there's more. These are massive fir trees. 
And I'd heard about this and I'd never seen where the, the turnout was. I'd never been on the trail. Well, two weeks ago, my wife and I were on this tour of the history of Whatcom County in this bus and, and, and our, our tour guide had the bus pull off at this unmarked little turnout on the Mount Baker Highway. And he says, I want to show you some old growth fir. And I'm like, I finally get to see this. And so we got off and went up this trail and sure, less than a minute on this trail and there were these massive, massive old growth firs. Now, listen, I'm telling you, I've been to Northern California and I've seen, you know, the, 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 uh, the redwoods and, and all that, but I've never seen old growth fir. And I mean, we come up on this tree and the, the circumference of this thing is just enormous. I mean, this would make any logger salivate. It's beautiful, beautiful, huge tree. And, and, and we walked up a little bit further and there was another one and another one and hundreds of feet tall and just so, so huge. And, 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 and some of them, like the first branch was over 100 feet high up there. And just to see these massive, massive fir trees. And I just went up to one of these big trees and I just whispered, how did you do it? And he whispered back, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end. I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend. And, and, and he's made it. These trees have endured hardships and storms and wind and rain and snow and droughts and forest fires. And someone asked, how old are these trees? And our guide said, judging by the big log down at the ranger station there, said these trees are at least 800 years old. And I thought, wow, 800 years old. And I just did the math. 2022 minus 800, 1222. That's good math. And I thought, these trees have been around since 1222. You know what was happening in 1222? Genghis Khan, the, the Mongol ruler, was taking over Eurasia. There were trees, of course, the Mount Baker Highway wasn't there. There were trees on the Mount Baker Highway that were saplings when Genghis Khan is going off on Eurasia. How could they do that? It's because they have these roots. Now you contrast that with a tumbleweed. A tumbleweed grows in a year and then it snaps off from the roots. And they may say, look at me. I'm not like those stupid trees. I'm free. I can go anywhere I want. I'm unlimited. I'm unbounded. I'm a rebel. No, 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 no. You can only go where the wind tells you to go. And the only freedom you have is the freedom to die because you've disconnected from the roots. And Paul comes to these people and says, you are doing so well in your faith. You've received this life from Christ. I want you to be rooted. Isn't that the whole picture that Jesus paints in the parable of the, of the, the seed and the soils? If the sower throws the seed around and the so seed that's on the path, it has no roots. It doesn't have time to get rooted. And what happens? The birds eat it. Another seed falls in, this, in the shallow soil and it gets little roots, but they're shallow roots. And then the sun comes out. Obviously, Jesus was not from the Pacific Northwest. But the sun comes out. And then they die. Why? Because their roots aren't deep. But there are seeds that go into this beautiful soil. And they put their roots down. And they produce 40, 60, 100 fold. And Paul writes to the churches, uh, the church in Ephesus. He says, God has given some to be apostles. And some to be prophets and some to be evangelists, some to be preachers and teachers, that the body of Christ would be equipped for works of service so that the body would be built up, maturing, attaining to the full measure of Christ. And then he says, when that happens, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching 
and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful schemings. We won't be tumbleweeds. We'll be those who are rooted. Again, in my years as a pastor, I've seen times when people just love the Lord. I mean, they're enthusiastic, exuberant about their faith, a bit emotional, but they're just full of life and love for Jesus. But you just talk to them and you're just like, have they ever read the Bible? I mean, they're excited. There's a lot of life there. And then you meet other people and they're, I mean, they're dependable. They're, you can just count on them. They're steady as it goes. And it's almost like a duty and you wonder, okay, they're, they're solid, but is there, is there any, any, any life at all? And I don't think those two have to be mutually exclusive. In fact, I think it's roots that allows us to have both. In Jeremiah 17, verse 8, he talks this, again, this metaphor, like, like a person who's like a tree who puts its roots down by streams of water. It gives stability and life. There's the stability of having the roots down, but it's the nourishment and the water that comes through those roots that brings this life. And Paul says, just just as you receive Christ Jesus, Lord, continue to live in him, rooted. And then he goes on, rooted, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Now he shifts this metaphor from, from agriculture to more of like an architecture, you know, built up and, and strengthened like, like you would with a building. And he's talking about in their lives that yes, they would have the roots down, but, but they would also be Growing, it would be a, a growing life and they'd be growing higher in their faith. That this is the whole idea of, of maturing, of, of continuing to walk in Christ and to, to have him in, in our lives and to have him transform us and to change us. Swindoll said years ago, there's an, an enormous difference between growing old in the Lord and growing up in the Lord. One of them takes no effort at all. Just wait long enough and you'll grow old in the Lord. One of them takes diligence, intentionality, and work to grow up in the Lord. And there's a lot of people that mark time in churches, mark time in the kingdom of God, and they grow old in the Lord, but they never grow up in the Lord. So I want you built up in him, like in Christ. And I want you to be strengthened in the faith, just as you were taught, the stuff that Epiphras has taught you, the stuff that I'm telling you. I, I want you to apply those things to your life. And here's the, the incredible thing, is that this whole idea of being built up in him and strengthened in the faith as we were taught, this, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, this is something for every single one of us. There's always going to be a next step. Whether you're just beginning in your spiritual journey or whether you've been walking with Christ for decades, you can still be built up and strengthened in your faith because it's a journey that never gets done. Now, for some of you, that's discouraging. Like, oh, really? You know why? Because you're checklist people. And you get great joy of checking things off the list. Completion, it's checked off. And when you do something that wasn't on your list, you put it on your list just so you can check it off. You know it's true. 
and you want this to be like that, give me the class, let me get through the curriculum, give me the certification. No, no, this one never ends. But that's the beauty of it because we're on a journey with Jesus. It just becomes more and more beautiful. I, I, I know you've done this, you, you get a book, maybe it's a novel or something, but it has just gripped you. I mean, it is a page turner. You can't wait to read and you stay up way too late and you're reading this book and, and it's just drawing you in and you love this story and you're reading it and, and you're getting back towards the end, there's less and less pages and there, there's this tension that you start living with because you want to keep reading it, but you don't want it to end. You know, or, or you've, you've been, you're watching a movie and it's just, you just love this movie and it's, it's gripping you and it's exciting, but your bladder tells you it can't go on forever. And, and, and you're torn like, you're, watch, you're binge watching something on Netflix, this series, and you're in season 18 and you know it's coming, to, but you don't want it to end. I mean, it's one of those kind of things, you're on a vacation and it's been two weeks and you're coming down to the last couple of days and, and, and you don't want it to end. You're listening to a sermon. And you just don't want it to end. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, no, hold on, no, yeah, okay, stop, stop, stop. Now, we're almost done, hold on. <laughs> don't encourage him, and they say. This journey with Jesus, it just continues, and it doesn't have to end. You learn more. You love him more. You lean into him more. You become more like him. You look more like him. Uh, there's a song we used to sing when I was a kid. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. It just keeps going. And he says, this is the beauty of this one. And no matter where you are, you can continue to grow, being built up and strengthened in the faith just as you were taught. Bigger and stronger in your faith. Bigger faith than you've ever had before. Strengthen in that faith. Continuing, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus. 35 years ago, September, 35 years ago, I moved to Whatcom County to be a part of the Cornwall Park Church of God. A little church on Meridian Street, about 175 people. I was 24 years old. A child. It's hard to believe. I was 24 years old, coming to be the youth pastor here. And there was a woman in our church at that time. She was 64 years old. Honestly, I thought she was ancient. Now I think she was fairly young herself. She was 64 years old. And she had been walking with the Lord longer than I had ever been alive. And she was rooted in her faith. And she studied the word. And she was faithful to come to church and to learn and to grow. She served. She was in Bible studies. She went to seminars. She was being built up and strengthened. And for 35 years, I've watched her. She's now 99 years old. Althea Ruth Calkins, many of you know her. And her whole life is about being built up and strengthened in her faith. And last week she was at church. She'll probably be here at the next service. I said, hey, Altruth, can I talk about you next week? I, I didn't tell her why. I said, it'll be good. She said, oh, well, I suppose. But Altruth continues to just be built up in her faith. Do you know she goes to the Global Leadership Summit every single year because she just wants to keep growing and learning? 
On a little side note, last year when she was 98, she took a class at Whatcom Community College. She continues to read her Bible. A few months ago, she spoke at a Collide Women's event. I was not there. I just heard about it. And as she was talking to all of these younger women, she was saying, there is so much value in the word of God. Read it, study it, memorize it, learn it, apply it to your life. How many times I've heard people say, and I've even said, I want to be like Alta Ruth when I grow up. We need to stop saying that. We need to be like Alta Ruth now so that we can grow up. Because we say, I want to be like her when I grow up. We'll never get there. She's been doing this when she was our age. Built up in him. Strengthened in the faith. Just as she was taught. Now, well, we got to keep going. You would love this to keep going forever. I know. Me too. We got to keep moving. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and he says, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now it goes from this building analogy to this river picture. Remember, they're in the Lycus Valley and the Lycus River runs right through them. And he's saying to them, I want this to be this overflowing of thankfulness, this, this grateful life that is, that is flowing over. Now, I know it's, it's got a lot of negative connotations because of the flooding that we had last year, and it was horrible, and it, I know it brought a lot of destruction. It's possible that they experienced that every spring in the Lycus Valley. It's possible Paul knows that they understand when a river overflows its bank that you can't contain it. And he uses a negative picture to bring about a positive virtue. He says, I want you to be like a river that's flooding, that you would overflow, that it can't be contained in your gratitude, your gratefulness, your thankfulness to God and all he's done. This is like a sub-theme that runs all the way through the letter. He talks about being grateful in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. So I won't go into it a whole lot because in three weeks, Pastor Brian's going to be teaching on this incredible passage out of Colossians 3, and it better be good. All right. But let me just read it real quick, and then we'll let Pastor Brian talk about it in three weeks. Colossians chapter 3, it says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with Gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Be grateful. Be thankful. Gratitude in your hearts. And maybe he knows this is a safeguard for them. That if we live a life that is just overflowing with gratitude for all that God has done for us, that maybe in the difficult times, the discouraging times, that you will recognize those, but they won't derail us because we remember not only all that God has done for us, but that he's promised he will redeem even the suffering for glory and that he will turn this around for good and that he's still at work. And maybe if we have a life that is overflowing with gratitude for the goodness and the grace of God, that when the things of this world start to distract us, to start to kind of cause us to drift, we say, yes, but, but there's something even greater than any of these things, things that this world has to offer. And just this heart of worship, of a perspective and a priority 
of being grateful that we would just pour this out. This is a, not a direct quote from John Ortberg. It's a, it's a tweak of, of, a, of a quote that John Ortberg said. So I kind of modified it for our purposes here today. He said, in essence, this. That gratitude is not the same as spiritual maturity. However, spiritual maturity and closeness to God will impact our gratitude. We are to have a life that is overflowing like a river that cannot be contained, that is just filled with gratitude. So he says to them, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Live in this mystery that's been revealed within you. Live in that reality every day. A life that is grounded, a grounded life, a growing life, a grateful life. It's going, it's growing, it's flowing. It's going deeper, it's growing higher, and it's flowing over. 